Ephesians chapter 2, to the text we read together this morning, Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 21. This text records for us an event that happened in the church of Antioch when the apostle Peter publicly and openly rebuked, or when the apostle Paul rather, publicly and openly rebuked the apostle Peter. The incident, as it's recorded for us in this text, is the result of the issue that Peter was damaging the gospel by the way he was fearing and the way he was living. He feared those who came from Jerusalem, the, who taught that salvation was both by the law and by faith. Apparently they were a pretty powerful group, a group that had a great deal of influence. And so Peter, who had been teaching and living in such a way that uh, was right and true according to the gospel, all of a sudden changed what he was teaching, changed the way he was living in order to please a group of people who taught that the law was necessary for salvation. And again, Paul links this back to the gospel. When he says in verse number 14, but when I saw that they, talking about Peter and others who were following him, like Barnabas, verse 13 says, and other Jews, verse 13 says, when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, if thou being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do, though, as do the Jews? Basically what Paul is saying here, Peter, you've been saying that salvation is by grace through faith and nothing else. And you've been fellowshipping with the Gentile believers. You've been sharing meals with the Gentile believers. You've been going to church with the Gentile believers. You've been, you've been living as if nothing else was necessary. And that's the way it should be, Peter. But now that this group shows up from Jerusalem, you're, you're, not, you're not fellowshipping with the Gentile believers anymore. You're not having meals with the Gentile believers anymore. You've separated yourself from the Gentile believers and you're expecting them to live like Jews. In other words, keep the law. Because they teach that salvation is by grace through faith plus the law. Paul says that's not truth. That's not the gospel. So the incident took place as a result of the issue that the gospel was being attacked. A false gospel was being taught. And there are insidious implications to 
hypocrisy. You see, that's the word in verse 13. And other Jews dissembled themselves likewise with him. Insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. That's not a word we use very much in modern English. But it basically means hypocrisy. Let's read it this way. And other Jews lived in hypocrisy also with Peter. So much so that Barnabas was carried away, borne along with their hypocrisy. There are insidious implications in the church when people wear masks. The word hypocrisy, as I've explained to you before, was developed as a result of the theater. They had theater in Bible days. They had places that people would go. Now, it it obviously wasn't audio and video. It was most of the time outdoor, and they didn't necessarily have ornate costumes or makeup, but they depending on the character that they were portraying, they would hold a mask in front of their face. If the character they were portraying was sinister, there there would be a sinister expression on the mask, and the actor would hold up the mask, and people would get the impression and the idea that this is a sinister character, he's evil, and he's the bad guy. If there was an expression on the mask of peace and contentment and those kind of things, then the impression would be, this must be the good guy. This is someone we could cheer for. The word hypocrisy comes from that idea of hiding behind the mask. Trying to portray something that might not really be true. In the case of Peter, his hypocrisy was an attack on the gospel. Because what he was saying by his life was that salvation requires works. But that's not true according to the gospel. Salvation is not by works. Salvation is by grace through faith and nothing else. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. So Peter and others were trying to add to the gospel. Peter and others were trying to, or were were giving false hope to those who were trying so hard to work their way into God's favor. They were giving false hope by even implying that if you're just good enough, then you'll go to heaven. But no one can ever be good enough. No one can ever do enough good. Salvation is a gift. 
And as we said, the best evidence when you examine your life, the best evidence that we can look to for for genuine salvation is not what we do. Although the Bible does teach that when you know Christ, you will do what Christ wants. You will live in obedience. doesn't mean you'll be perfect. And it does mean that you'll be constantly uh, seeking forgiveness for sin and failure. But we don't do in order, we don't do works in order to merit salvation. But the best evidence of genuine salvation is a transformed life, a life that isn't what it was before Jesus entered that life. A transformed life looks like Christ, desires the things Christ would have for us, wants the things that God would want for us. Paul described a transformed life in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, new creature. All things have passed away, and behold, all things are becoming new. What Peter was saying and others were saying is, yeah, sure. Grace through faith plus your good works. And Paul was saying, no, if it's by works, it's not grace at all. I want you to see today that it was not only insidious because it was an attack on the gospel, but let's be more specific. It is an attack on what the Bible teaches we call the doctrine of justification. The doctrine of justification. Look down at verse 15. Paul has just said that, Peter, you're you're compelling the Gentiles to live like the Jews when they really don't need to. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. How is hypocrisy an assault on the doctrine of justification? Let me explain or define what that doctrine is. Let me define justification. Justification is all God's work. It's nothing we do. It's what God does. Justification is the act of God whereby he declares sinners to be righteous, repentant sinners. In our study on Jonah on Wednesday nights, we talked about repentance this past Wednesday. Let me repeat that illustration um, so you understand what we mean when we talk about repentance. For those of you who were in the military, or you know someone who was in the military, 
there would be formations of soldiers, and there would be a sergeant uh, or, or someone in authority who who would give directions to that that group of soldiers, whatever size group it might have been, or whatever branch of military it might have might be. There would be a group of soldiers. There would be a gathering of soldiers, and there would be someone in charge. And, and he would call that group of soldiers into formation and they would stand at attention and then you know, maybe they would say something like forward march. And that whole group of soldiers would begin all marching in unison, moving in the same direction, following the leadership of the person in charge. And, and maybe let's say they, get, they, they go so far and then all of a sudden there's a command and it's, it's, it's halt. That group of soldiers stops. They don't go forward anymore. They don't get out of formation. They stop. And then the person in charge says, about face. What does the group of soldiers do? They turn and they face the other direction. They're not going or even looking the way they were going. They're facing the other direction now. And then the command again is given, forward march. And they go in the opposite direction they were originally going. In my simple mind, that's a great illustration of repentance. Because at some point in your life, when you are confronted with the gospel, and you come to God in repentance, you will stop and you'll do an about face. And you won't be going in the direction you were going. You won't desire the same things. You will not want the same things. Your heart will be changed, transformed, so that your direction now is toward God. And you're moving toward him. You don't want to go back. Does that mean that you'll never turn? Does that mean you'll never sin? No. But it does mean this. <clears throat> As you continue your direction moving toward God, you will want less and less of what you were and more and more of who he is. When it comes to the doctrine of justification, when we who are sinners realize we need a Savior, we stop or God stops us. We call on Him to forgive our sins. We call on Him to be our Savior. We call out from a repentant heart not wanting our sin anymore, but wanting Jesus now. At that point, the Bible says God declares us righteous. What does that mean? You know, the Bible says things like there is none righteous, no, not one. Isaiah the prophet said all our righteousnesses, all of our good works, all those things that we would do to try to gain God's favor and earn God's pleasure. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. 
Those are the rags that lepers would wind around their body to, to, to bandage their open sores that resulted from their leprosy. All the good works, all the things that we would try to do to show God how good we're trying to be are as filthy bandages wrapped around a leper's body and they're covered with blood and they're covered with pus and they're covered with putrid wretchedness and they're worth nothing. That's what we are until God says, you are righteous. And he clothes us. The Bible uses this kind of language. He clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. Hey, here's the idea. There's not a person in this room. There's not a person breathing in the world today who could ever be righteous unless someone makes you that way. Declares you to be that. That's justification. It is God exchanging my unrighteousness for the righteousness of Christ. And when I come to God in repentance, my unrighteousness, my sins, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. God takes my sin and puts it on Jesus and punished Jesus for my sin when he died on the cross. And God takes the righteousness of Christ and he gives it to me and declares me righteous. Do you see how insulting it is to God for anyone to think they can earn God's favor? That they can work to be righteous? It is only through, the Bible tells us, in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1, It is only through being made righteous, declared righteous, that we can have peace with God. Justification is an instantaneous declaration of God that takes place when a sinner when a sinner is stopped in his tracks and he turns from sin and self and turns to a savior it happens it's not a process sanctification is the process where we learn to live out what happens <coughs> when we're declared righteous. Essentially, by the way Peter was living and the things that Peter was teaching, 
By separating himself from the Gentiles, he was denying the truth of justification. He was essentially saying, the Jews are different from everybody else. We're, we're better than Gentiles. We're holier than Gentiles. We're more godly than Gentiles. And if you want to be holy, and if you want to be godly, and if you want to, to, to be on God's good side, and you want God to love you more, and answer your prayers, and bless you, if you want God on your side, then you need to live like us. The fact is, <clears throat> there's not a Christian in the world who is more justified than any other Christian in the world. We are all declared as righteous as Christ. Now we want to live in light of that truth. Peter was living in such a way that he was assaulting the doctrine of justification by making works enough. By saying, this is what I'm going to do. So God, pay attention. God, are you watching? Look what I'm doing. You owe me. But it was also an assault on the doctrine of justification. Because essentially, it's saying, you know, I appreciate God what you did by sending Jesus, but I could have taken care of this on my own. Yeah, I, I, I thank you for sending your son to die for me, but, but look, I can be good. And I can be good enough. I really don't need Jesus. I don't need you to tell me I'm righteous because I can show you how righteous I am. You see what an insult that is? To God and his gospel. Whether we're Jewish or whether we're Gentile, and that's how the Bible separates all humanity, Jews and Gentiles. Whether we're Jewish or whether we're Gentile, we are all sinners. That was the purpose of Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, to prove that all are under sin. All are sinners. And the only way anyone, anyone, the only way anyone can come to God is through faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. Trying to be done that. Have you at any point in your life, I'm not, no, no, please understand. I'm not asking you, have you prayed a prayer? I'm not asking you, have you been baptized? I'm not asking if you're a church member anywhere. I'm asking, has there been a time in your life when you 
when God stopped you and you repented and now you're going to God. That's the direction of your life. And at the point you stopped and repented, God said, you're righteous. That happened in your life? Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes? Every head is bowed, every eye is closed.